Well, good morning once again, and, and welcome. Thank you all for joining us. If, if you're a guest or a visitor, we're so happy to have you with us. Uh, my name's Aaron Glover. I'm the pastor here at FBC, and we're just thrilled to have you all with us. We're so thankful that you chose to come and worship the Lord with us here today. You know, the past few weeks, we've been walking through this series uh, in the book of Hebrews. It's been a, a deep dive in certain parts, and it's difficult text. And we're going to jump into some more deep things today. Uh, but the thing I want us to remember and, and keep in mind as we're going through, especially in the book of Hebrews, we get to see a lot of things from the Old Testament, and we get to connect to the New Testament. We see in the Old Testament, these things are pointing to Jesus. They are shadows of the things to come. But in the New Testament, once Jesus has come and fulfilled his mission and the will of God, he is the fullness of those shadows. They're all pointing to him. And so that's what we keep in mind as we've been going throughout this, this series and this study. And, and it's going to be no different today. And as we've seen over the past few weeks, we introduced this series, we saw a lot of different roles that Jesus plays. When we look at who Jesus is to us as believers, he's not just a guy, he's not just a savior, he's not just a teacher. When we see uh, throughout this book especially, we see him as the prophet, the son of God, the heir of all things, the one through who God made everything in the universe. He's the exact image of God's nature, that he is the radiance of God's glory. We also saw how he is our brother and our high priest, that he's not ashamed to be counted as one of us. We saw that he's the upholder of all things. He made purification for our sins, that he's seated in the highest place of honor, that he is far superior to the angels as far as his name is greater than them. And then last week, we saw how he is even superior to Moses. And if we remember who Moses was back in the Old Testament, Moses was the one who delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God called him, sent him to go to see Pharaoh. God delivers them out of their slavery, brings them out. They, they go out into the wilderness. God begins to provide for them. And then they come to a place called Mount Sinai. Remember at Mount Sinai is where Moses went up uh, for 40 days, he received the Ten Commandments. That's where God gave them the law. And Moses would come and relay that and tell that law to the people. And in doing so, he was acting as a prophet for God. But we saw how Jesus is, in fact, greater than Moses. As our prophet, as, as, as an apostle, a sent one on God's behalf. And again, as our high priest. And today we're going to see that role of high priest. It keeps coming up. If you haven't noticed, we keep seeing high priest, high priest, high priest. Jesus functions as this high priest. We're going to see that as well today. And in fact, when we talk about this, we're going to see the role that Jesus plays as our high priest, what he accomplishes. We're going to see Moses again today. In fact, we're going to skip a few chapters ahead. We've been in the early chapters. But because we decided to take communion today, I wanted us to be able to connect what we're talking about in Scripture, what we're learning about, and what we're going to partake of today. Because what we're doing in taking the Lord's Supper and communion, this isn't just something we get, we get up here and go through the motions. They hand you the tiny little cracker that doesn't have any taste. You eat it. You drink the little grape juice. If that's all this is, then this is a, a worthless thing that we're doing. 
And so what I want us to realize today and to think about and consider today as we go through communion, this ordinance that Christ has given us is to remember what he has done for us, to remember what he has brought us in the new covenant, how he fulfilled the old covenant and brought us this new covenant. And that's what we're going to look at today. Again, connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament and all things pointing us to Christ Jesus as our fulfillment. Now, I want to give us a brief history. Back it, back it up so we, we have everything set up in place. I'm going to have to move kind of quick today because I don't want our service to take two hours. So I'm going to, I'm going to launch through this. Keep up with me. We're going to get a, a brief history. Remember back a, a series ago, we were walking through the land of Canaan with Abraham. Remember the, the man named Abram? God called him to leave his father's land, go out into the land. He would show him. He said, I promise to make you a great nation. Through you, all the peoples will be blessed. God makes all these promises to Abraham. He says, I will be your, your offspring. I'll be their God. They will be my people. God delivers Abraham, goes through all these series of events. And then a few generations later is when we come to Moses. And again, God rescued uh, Israel from the land of Egypt, delivered them out. And when he did this, he brought them out. God actually tells them, I brought you out of Egypt so that you would become my treasured possession. You would become my people that I may dwell among you. That's why I brought you out of Egypt, so that I could fulfill my promise to Abraham and that I would dwell with you. And he tells them, I brought you out. Look at all the things I've done. You're my people. Now, here's the covenant I'm going to make between you and I. That's what he said to, to tell Moses to tell the Israelites. He gives them a standard. And in this standard, God reveals to them his nature. He reveals to them all the things, the ways he wants them to live. And we can sum up all of the law by saying, first of all, he told them that they should love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. God above everything else. And then secondly, in their dealings with one another, that they were to love their neighbors as themselves. We see this standard reflected whenever God tells Moses, this is how you're to do all of these different things. He gives them laws about idols and property and social responsibility, mercy, justice, Sabbath, feasts. He tells them how to do all these things. And he makes this covenant. I delivered you. You're my people. Now live this way. And if you do, you'll be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's not just talking to any group of people, but he's talking to the entire nation. All of you will be my treasured possession. I brought you out. You're my people. Now go live this way. This is my standard. But when you break the standard, I'm going to show you also what happens when you break that standard. When you sin. And God shows them how every time they break this standard, what should happen is death. When you do this, death. He who does this, death. Death, death, death. All sin, the wage of sin is death. But then God also shows them a way to be forgiven of their sins. And the only way that sin is forgiven is the wage of sin is death. Therefore, as long as something dies for that sin, that sin will be atoned for. And you won't have to die. It's interesting, God created a system where a substitute could take the place of the sinner. The person who sins, something else could die in their place and they could be forgiven. 
God institutes what we know as the sacrificial system. He takes one of the tribes of Israel and and he makes them all priests. And what the priests do is they go and they live before God and they serve him. They do every all these different ordinances. They make the sacrifices day in and day out. All the special ones they prepare for the feasts. They have to go into the uh, he gives them instructions on how to make the tabernacle. There's certain places they can only go into. You have the holy place and then the holy of holies that only the high priest can go in once a year. There's all these instructions. But God does that not to not to make it impossible for people's sins to be forgiven, but actually to make it possible for their sin to be forgiven. And he shows them, if you will do this, you'll be my treasured possession. But when you break my word, when you break my covenant, this is what's required. Bloodshed, sacrifice, this animal, this much, this much, this much, this much. So as they lived, they would fall into sin and constantly be having to make sacrifices over and over and over again. And so God sends Moses. He says, okay, go tell the people, here's what I've commanded you. This is the covenant between us. Moses reads the commandment and he reads God's law to them, the book of the law. And Israel says, all that the Lord says we will do. The people agreed to it and they entered into this covenant with God. And the next day, this is interesting. What Moses does when he's inaugurating this covenant is he's told to take a certain amount of sacrifices from from bulls and calves and all this. He takes the sacrifices and half of the blood from those animals, he puts in a basin and splashes against the altar and all the articles used in worship. And then the other half, he takes and he sprinkles it on the people. And he tells them, this is the blood of the covenant, just as the Lord has said. He tells them that that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. He sprinkles that blood on them. Now what that blood represents, again, the only reason the blood is there is for the forgiveness of sins. They put it on the altar to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins and sprinkled on the people, representing that connection. They are the ones that that blood is for. So whenever the first, the old covenant was inaugurated, Moses sprinkled, it was through blood. And Moses sprinkled it on the people. Now the reason I kind of set all that up is those are some little details that you may not remember all the time. And, you know, we know God gave him the Ten Commandments, but not everybody remembers that Moses sprinkled blood on the altar and on the people. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 9. And keep those things in mind that we just talked about. Now, I'm going to go through verses 11 through 22. So we're going to have quite a few verses here. Hang with me. Keep those things we just talked about in mind. Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 11, says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, without blemish to God, 
how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For, well, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both on the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood on both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We talked about how the wage of sin is death. And the reason God requires blood for a sacrifice to atone for our sins is because, as Leviticus tells us, Leviticus 17.11 says that the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to put on the altar to make atonement for your sins. So that's why blood, because the life of something is in the blood. Life is required to cover sin. He set up that sacrifice. Again, we had the tabernacle and the altar, the holy place, the holy of holies, that the priests would go and do all this service. But all of these things were temporary means to satisfy sin. Because even if you went and made the proper sacrifice for that sin... The next time you sinned, you had another sacrifice. A sin, a sacrifice. Sin, a sacrifice. Sin, sacrifice. This would continue throughout all eternity, by the way. Because that sacrifice would never fully satisfy the penalty for sin. But when Jesus came, our high priest, he went into the most holy places. Not in an earthly tabernacle in the tent, not in the, in the temple but into the heavenly places. He went in as our high priest, as a man, as one of us, and offered a sacrifice that was so pleasing to God. By the Spirit, he offered a holy sacrifice without blemish. That his sacrifice was so pleasing to God that God never again required death for sin. That one sacrifice pleased God so much that anyone that that sacrifice represents all of their sin is completely forgiven forever. Never requiring us to kill another animal if we are under Christ's sacrifice. And it says that because of that, we have eternal redemption. Because if the blood of an animal can atone for a time, how much more can the precious blood of the only Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit without spot or blemish, how much more can that satisfy God. It says he's the mediator of, of a new covenant. When we think about God delivered the law, Christ lived that law perfectly. Everything, he met every single qualification. He never sinned, not once. He fulfilled it in that respect in regards to righteousness. 
But then when he offered himself as our sacrifice, he also fulfilled the law and requires to redemption. Offering the sacrifice that would cover all sin for all time. And this is where the author starts talking about in verse 15 through 18. If you heard the part, he talked about a will, how it doesn't go into effect until the writer of the will dies. We understand this from a human perspective. Let's say your father owned a thousand acres. And as long as he's alive, that land is his land, correct? But if you are the son and the inheritor, when he dies, whose land does that become? Yours. If he leaves that to you in his will, when he dies, it goes into effect when he dies. Now, think about this. God wanted to make us his treasured possession, uh, an entire nation of holy priests just for himself, for him to dwell among us. That was his will. That was the testimony. But for that to happen, for him to bring that about through the covenant, he had to die. And he did that as Christ Jesus. He died, and in that death, we now get to live in the fulfillment of that will. We now get to have that internal inheritance. They were looking forward to that in the Old Testament, but we're walking in that right now. That's why we keep telling you over and over and over again, when we talk to you as a believer, and I say that you are God's treasured possession, that's because God's will has already been enacted because of Christ's death. He said, I'm going to make you my treasured possession. And because of Christ Jesus, you are his treasured possession. You are a nation of priests. You are a royal priesthood because Christ has already died. The sacrifice has already been made. The will now goes into effect. And we are living in that now. But even when God began this, when he inaugurated the old covenant, he did this by means of blood. This is the blood of the covenant. Moses sprinkled some of it on the altar, and then he sprinkled the rest of it on the people. And in this covenant, what I want us to notice is you have two parties. You have God who makes a promise. You're going to be my treasured possession. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I will dwell among you. God kept his end of the bargain, didn't he? God has perfectly kept his end of the bargain but we know the people didn't. We know the people didn't keep their end of the bargain. And were this a contract that God entered into the people and they break their end, God could have just said, okay, we're done. See ya. But because this was a covenant, even when the people broke their end, God kept his end and then he stepped in to fulfill their end of the bargain. He stepped in and fulfills both in that he keeps the law, as we mentioned, that he provides forgiveness for those who have broken his law. And then not only that, he goes a step further. And those who have denied him, those who have refused him, those who have rejected him, his people, the Jews, he uses their disobedience as an opportunity to invite the entire world into his salvation. This just keeps getting better and better when we look at this. As we look at the old covenant, again, he fulfilled the first covenant by his life. He fulfilled the covenant with Moses by his life. And he brings a new covenant to us through his death. And this is the new covenant that everyone who believes in Christ Jesus 
belongs to him. That everyone who believes in him died with him on the cross. They were buried with him and they have been raised with him to be co-heirs. Children of God through our Lord. Brothers and sisters of the Most High. And again, we have become that kingdom of priests. A holy nation. His treasured possession alive in him forever. That's the covenant that he established. And that's what he brings to us. So whenever we think about the old covenant, we see that fulfilled. And then we come to the new covenant. Remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that last supper, when he gathered his disciples together to celebrate the Passover. And this is where we come to this. That night is when he instituted the new covenant. At this time, if we could go ahead and have our deacons come forward. That night as he gathered, after they had celebrated the Passover, he told them that he would give his body for them, that he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of their sins. And he commemorates this in a very, very special way. And what we're going to do here in the next few moments is is partake of this ordinance just as he gave it to the disciples. Now, I want to say a few words real quick. We have an open communion here. What that means is is that you don't have to be a member of First Baptist Troop to partake in communion. But you do need to be a believer in Christ Jesus. If you are not a believer or have not yet followed Christ Jesus, we do ask that you abstain from this. This is something that Christ ordered for his followers to partake in, to remember his death, to remember his sacrifice. But if you are a believer, we invite you to partake in this. It doesn't matter uh, what church you're a member of as long as you are a follower of Christ Jesus. And so what we're going to do, we're going to give the instructions. We'll take all this together. So you can just wait and follow along with us. We'll instruct you when to do what. Uh, so don't worry. You don't have to know what to do as far as partaking in communion. So at this time, if our uh, deacons would, go ahead and pass out the bread. We remember that on that night as they had gathered, in just a few hours, Jesus would be betrayed by one of his followers. He would go to Gethsemane to pray, and one of his former followers, Judas, would come betray him in the middle of that night. He'd bring a band of soldiers. They would come arrest Jesus. They would take him bound to the house of the high priest where he would be interrogated and humiliated. They would question Jesus. They were rude to him. The guards slapped him and punched him in the face. When they didn't get what they want out of him, they sent him off to be questioned again, where he got roughed up even further. And after that, after he was beaten and mocked so many times, he was sent to Pilate because they wanted him to be crucified. They wanted to put Jesus to death. And Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. He saw no fault worthy of death. And so he had him flogged. What they did was the Roman soldiers 
would take him and whip him and beat him, his body being brutally tortured after he'd been beaten within a near inch of his life by lashes. They then made him take a a cross and carry that throughout the town. And as he carried that cross throughout the town to the place where they were going to lift him up and hang him on that tree, it got so overwhelming that Jesus couldn't go any further and actually they had someone come and help him. When we talk about the body of Jesus, we're talking about a real man who walked this earth just like we do. The scriptures say that he was made like us in every single respect. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And every time he got hit by one of the strikes from the lashes or punched in the face by one of the soldiers, he felt every bit of that pain. Because he was a real man with a real body just like us. He felt and suffered in the exact same way that we do. And that bread that you hold in your hands represents his body. GW, at this time, would you pray over the bread for us? Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Master, Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this moment. Thank you. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for mankind, for humankind, for the sacrifice you made on that cross. Thank you for that. And we pray in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, we're told that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At this time, will you take the bread and remember his body given for you? Deacons, at this time, if y'all will pass out the wine. And as we mentioned earlier... The scriptures tell us that the life of a creature is in the blood. And God said, I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. As we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, his body that was given for us. As they punished him, as they whipped him, as they beat him. 
that he did begin to bleed. And as he hung on that tree, the blood that was in his veins would begin to pour out onto his skin, onto the wood, seeping down. And we think about the fact that the author of all life, the creator of all life, everything in the universe, shed his blood and gave his life so that every single one of your sins could be forgiven. And he poured out the life that was in him unto total and complete death. And after six hours of hanging on that tree, going through everything that he had gone through, bleeding out unto death, he finally declared that it was finished and he gave up his spirit. Jesus bled and gave his life so that every one of your sins could be atoned for. So as we hold this cup of wine, the fruit of the vine, we are remembering his sacrifice, what he poured out for each and every one of us, a sacrifice that was so totally satisfying to God that God would never again require blood for any of your sins as long as this sacrifice represents you. That is what we remember as we hold the wine today. Wayne, would you pray over the wine for us, sir? Heavenly Father, on this special day, we celebrate that new covenant. We do remember, Lord, we remember every single thing. Most of all, Lord, we remember that sacrificial blood that fell to the ground. And Lord, we know that love grew for every drop that fell. Lord, we also recognize that your blood forms that vermilion cement that bonds us together as those that believe in you, our precious Savior. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. And 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25 tells us, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At this time, we drink the cup, the blood of the new covenant.
Today we have remembered the old covenant. The covenant that God gave to Moses. A part of the fulfillment of the promise he made to Abraham. God said that to Abraham, to your offspring, I will make them my people and I will be their God. I will make you a blessing to all people. And when he brought the children of Israel out to keep his promise to Abraham, he entered into a covenant with Moses and the people. And he said, if you will keep this covenant, if you will obey my words, you will be my treasured possession. All of that pointing us to Jesus Christ. We saw that the words of God, we could never measure up to his holy and perfect standard. But thanks be to God that his son Jesus did. He came and lived an absolutely perfect life. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, fully satisfying God in all things. So that every single person who believes in Christ Jesus as their prophet, as their priest, as their savior, all who believe in him shall be saved. And as we have remembered this new covenant that Christ inaugurated, the reason we're not under the old covenant is Christ fulfilled it, it's finished, but we live under the new covenant. And that covenant is that Jesus Christ has done it all. That Jesus Christ is all. And that Jesus Christ has shared that with us. If we simply come to him by faith and believe. We are his children. We are his prized possession. And he is our God forevermore. Amen. Amen. So as we go and leave this place, I want you to remember you are children of the new covenant. Children of God through Christ Jesus your Lord. Who bought you by his blood. Who has redeemed you to live free from sin in his name. Let us pray. Our heavenly father, Lord we thank you for this day. God we thank you for this ordinance that we have just celebrated the Lord's Supper. God, as we partook of this and we took the bread and remembered your body given for us, that God became a man and suffered through everything we suffer through on this earth so that he could be identified as our brother. And he gave his body to be poured out for us, to be hung on that tree unto death. And then his body was put in the grave because he was dead. And then on the third day, you raised that body back to life. And Jesus Christ is alive forever, seated at your right hand. So we thank you for that bread that we remember today, the body of Christ. And God, we thank you for that blood that we partook of, the wine representing the blood of the new covenant. We live in the new covenant, receiving all of your promises, all of the fulfillment in Jesus, looking to him for everything because he poured out his life for us, that our death could be taken away and that we could receive his life. And as he was raised from the dead, so we have been raised from the dead. And because he is alive, Father, we are alive and will be alive forevermore in him. 
God, when I think about all this, I am completely overwhelmed. You didn't have to do any of this for us. We're the ones who broke the law. We broke the rules. We transgressed your covenant, and yet you saved us because you're a good God. And we cannot thank you enough. I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room now that doesn't know you as Savior, who has not believed.